0: Chapter Seventy Seven of the Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Day. The Headless Horseman A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter Seventy Seven Another Link. It was less surprise than gratification that showed itself on the countenance of Zeb Stump as he deciphered the writing on the paper. "'That ere's the back o' a letter,' muttered he. "'Tells a goodish grist story, more'n war wrote inside, I reckon. Been used for the wad a gun, while serves the cuss right for rammin' down a rifle ball wi' a patch a scurvy paper, instead o' the proper an' bestest thing, which ere a bit o' greased buckskin. "'The rotten air in a she-male hand,' he continued, looking anew at the piece of paper. "'Don't signify for that. It's been sent to him all the same, and he's headed in Persian. It ere something to be took care o.' so saying he drew out a small-skin wallet which contained his tinder of punk along with his flint and steel and after carefully stowing away the scrap of paper he returned the sack to his pocket well he went on in soliloquy as he stood silently considering i calculate as how this old coon'll be able to unwind a good grist o this clue o mystery though there be a bit o the thread broken here and there and a bit o a puzzle i can't clearly understand the man who have been murdered whomsoever he may be were out there by that puddle o blood and the man as did the deed, whomsoever he be, were a standin' behind this locust tree. But for them greenhorns I mout a got more out o the sign. Now there ain't the ghost o a a chance. They've tramped the whole place into a dern nation mess, cavortin' and caperin' about. Well, ter no use goin' fur that way, the bestest thing now ere to take the back track, if it ere possible, and discover where the hoss with the broke shoe toted his rider arter he went back from this lil bit o' still huntin'. Therefore, old Zeblon stump, back ye go on the boot-tracks. With this grotesque apostrophe to himself, he commenced retracing the footmarks that had guided him to the edge of the opening. Only in one or two places were the footprints at all distinct, but Zeb scarce cared for their guidance. Having already noted that the man who made them had returned to the place where the horse had been left, he knew the back-track would lead him there. There was one place, however, where the two trails did not go over the same ground, there was a forking in the open list through which the supposed murderer had made his way. It was caused by an obstruction, a patch of impenetrable thicket. They met again but not till that on which the hunter was returning straggled off into an open glade of considerable size. Having become satisfied of this, Zeb looked around into the glade, for a time forsaking the footsteps of the pedestrian. After a short examination he observed a trail altogether distinct and of a different character— it was a well-marked path entering the opening on one side and going out on the other, in short, a cattle track. Zeb saw that several shod horses had passed along it some days before, and it was this that caused him to come back and examine it. He could tell to a day, to an hour, when the horses had passed, and from the sign itself, but the exercise of his ingenuity was not needed on this occasion. He knew that the hoof-prints were those of the horses ridden by Spangler and his party after being detached from the main body of searchers who had gone home with the Major. He had heard the whole story of that collateral investigation, how Spangler and his comrades had traced Henry Poindexter's horse to the place where the Negro had caught it, on the outskirts of the plantation. To an ordinary intellect this might have appeared satisfactory. Nothing more could be learnt by anyone going over the ground again. Zeb Stump did not seem to think so as he stood looking along it his attitude showed indecision if i could make sure o havin time he muttered i'd foller it fust just as like as not i'll find a fluke ther too but there's no certainty bout the time and i'd better proceed to settle with the animal as cast the quarter shoe he had turned to go out of the glade when a thought once more stayed him arter all it can be easy found at any time i can guess where it'll lead as certain as if i'd rud alongside the skunk that made it straight cuss to the stable o caser corver it's a derned pity to drop this un now whiles i'm here upon the spot it'll gimme the makin o another ten mile journey an there mightn't be time Dog gone if i don't try a little way along it the old mark can wait till i come back bracing himself for a new investigation he started off upon the cattle track trodden by the horses of spangler and his party to the hoof marks of these he paid but slight attention at times none whatever his eye only sought those of Henry Poindexter's horse. Though the others were of an after-time, and often destroyed the traces he was most anxious to examine, he had no difficulty in identifying the latter. As he would have himself said, any greenhorn could do that. The young planter's horse had gone over the ground at a gallop. The trackers had ridden slowly. As far as Zeb Stump could perceive, the latter had made neither halt nor deviation, the former had. It was about three-quarters of a mile from the edge of the venue, it was not a halt the galloping horse had made, but only a slight departure from his direct course, as if something he had seen—wolf, jaguar, cougar, or other beast of prey—had caused him to shy. Beyond he had continued his career, rapid and reckless as ever. Beyond the party along with Spangler had proceeded, without staying to inquire why the horse had shied from his track. Zeb Stump was more inquisitive and paused upon this spot. It was a sterile tract, without herbage, and covered with shingle and sand a huge tree overshadowed it with limbs extending horizontally one of these ran transversely to the path over which the horses had passed so low that a horseman to shun contact with it would have to lower his head at this branch zeb's stump stood gazing he observed an abrasion upon the bark that though very slight must have been caused by contact with some substance as hard if not sounder than itself that's been done by the skull o a human critter reasoned he a human critter that must have been on the back o a hoss this side the branch and off on the t'other, no living man could a stood such a collision as that and kept his seat o the settle. Who He triumphantly exclaimed after a cursory examination of the ground underneath the tree. I thought so. There's the impression o oh, the throwed rider, and there's where he has creeped away. Now I've got explication o oh, that big bump as has been puzzlin' me. I knowed it won't did by the claws o any varmint, and it didn't look like the blow either o oh, a stone or a stick that ere's the stick that is gin it.' With an elastic step, his countenance radiant of triumph, the old hunter strode away from the tree, no longer upon the cattle path, but that taken by the man who had been so violently dismounted. To one unaccustomed to the chaparral, he might have appeared going without a guide, and upon a path never before pressed by human foot. A portion of it perhaps had not, but Zeb was conducted by signs which, although obscure to the ordinary eye, were to him intelligible as the painted lettering upon a finger-post. The branch contorted to afford passage for a human form, the displaced tendrils of a creeping plant, the scratched surface of the earth, all told that a man had passed that way. The sign signified more, that the man was disabled, had been crawling, a cripple. Zeb Stump continued on, till he had traced this cripple to the banks of a running stream. It was not necessary for him to go further. He had made one more splice of the broken thread, another, and his clue would be complete. End of chapter 77